When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Fulhamish Podcast, the weekly show that fires as many shots as your average mid-season football match up in Wolverhampton. My name is Sammy James. I'm joined this week by Ben Jarman, Don Betts and Jack Collins. How are you doing, gents? Very well, thank you. Very good, thank you. Just about recovering from Saturday. Just about. Later in the show, we'll be discussing crazy draws and Tom Kearney's delicious goal. But with two goals per person to dissect, we'd better get cracking on looking at Saturday's game up at Molyneux. Jack, this isn't the first time I've asked you this this season. Have you ever seen anything like that? No, not quite. Um, One of those games that somehow had me simultaneously trying to throttle someone, you know, delirious with joy and also, you know, just unbelievably frustrated at the end of it. And it was just one of those games where we sat, the final whistle came, it was just like, I just, I need a drink. I need a drink <laughs> as, as fast as possible, please. So, it's a shame yeah. it wasn't at home because you could have gone to the Fulham Gin Bar. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally where to start. It was a mental game. Uh, here's some statistics for you guys. Uh, it's the highest scoring Fulham draw in the league uh, since a 4-4 match uh, with Northampton in 1995. There was a League Cup 4-4 against Wickham back in 1997. 45 shots in the game. That's one every two minutes uh, shot either on target or off target. And the highest scoring championship game since January 2015, which was Watford 7, Blackpool 2. That sounds like a bit of a scorcher. Um, ben, it was just such an open game. And literally, I mean, it could have been 8-8 and it wouldn't have been an unfair reflection of the game as a whole. Yeah, it's one of those games where you, at the start, you know, you're on cloud nine because Fulham are 3-1 up at half time. We've been playing so well over the past few weeks that you kind of think, you know, this is this is our game to take. It'll probably be 5-1 by the time the game finishes. And then you're brought back down to earth with the old Fulham who can see three in a matter of minutes. And then you're kind of thinking to yourself, oh shit, here we go again. Um, we could let this really affect us. But I think the resilience and the mental resilience we had was brilliant. Um, and the fact that we managed to make it 4-0 in the 90th minute was just like fantastic out of the bag and um, Dom Wolves were the first to score I mean with so many goals we're just going to have to go chronologically aren't we there's no other way to do it poor defending against Courtney House from the corner should Button be doing better there I think without looking at Button first uh, you've got to look at Tim Ream yeah. he mm. should be winning that header he doesn't even jump he just stood to the spot and Courtney House just towers over him heads it into the goal it's an easy height for Button as well it goes under him but even before that they had a chance they had a free header with Danny Bath Mm. or Bath, I don't even know how you say his name, before 1-0. It's and, from up north yeah, or down south, that, really, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and um, and what were Callas and Ream doing there? It was pretty much, they were both on the uh, on Danny Bath and he got a free header and he just missed. And then, yeah, Button, I think he should have saved the first one. But it was just poor defending overall from a set piece, which we've actually not been too bad with this season. Yeah. No, that was very much Fulham of old. Oh, definitely. We struggled with set pieces traditionally for a long time, especially when we had Dan Byrne in there who we discussed last week, is getting smaller when he jumps than no one else does that in the whole entire world. But like the insertion of Callas into us into our back four this season has seen us like markedly improve. Um, and this one just seems to be a massive blip on 
the progress we've made. And last week he made uh, he made Reem look brilliant, and this week Reem looked absolutely terrible. And so did Button, who I agree should have done much better for the goal. His reflexes were so slow, and his hands weren't strong enough. Yeah, just one of those. In terms of, you know, Callas didn't have his finest game in a Fulham shirt, as, you know, we've discussed before, and, and it does make his partner more liable. And obviously when Callas is brilliant like he was last week, Ream looks sublime next to him. And as soon as, you know, Callas looked like he was having it, he still didn't have, a, you know, an awful game, but he had, you know, didn't have a brilliant game. And suddenly Tim Ream looked suspect at every single opportunity. And, you know, we'll discuss later, but there's there's more that Reams have fought for here in, in, in the game. And it's just one of those where it makes you wonder if and when we're going to, you know, determine a back two that, you know, it was very hard to say that we were going to drop someone from, from the Reading game after everyone performed so well. But at the same time, you know, we said in our preview, Sammy, that we would have liked to see Maddle back in the in the back four and, and, and failing that, maybe Sigerson. And... It was one of those where just because Tim Ream had a good game one week doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to automatically erase all the you know past faults that we've seen of old. And you know while I'm all for if someone's you know progressing and, and putting in putting in the improvements then they should be you know up for selection. I think that we were naive to believe that that was the answer, and I think that we'll probably see that revert. Well, why do you think Slavisa is going? for Tim Ream at the moment. I mean, it seemed dubious. I, I didn't see... Was Sigurdsson definitely injured for the Reading game? Is that confirmed? Because I didn't yeah. really see... We, we th- he was out of the squad, so, wasn't yeah. he? He was out of the complete 18, but, then Sigurds- but this week he was back on the bench. Why do you think Jukanovic is going for Ream? What do you think he sees in him that, I mean, quite clearly I'd say the majority of fans can't? Well, I think the obvious one for me is just that Maddow was a small centre-back and Ream's a, a slight tad taller than him. So it could be aerial presence... But if if it's me trying to pick between the two, I'd go for Maddle just simply because he can play out the back much better than Ream can, in my opinion at least. I don't know what you guys think. I mean, but... I don't think Ream's bad at playing no. out from the back, but he's just not as good as Maddle. And then with Sigurdsson, you have more of Braun. an old-fashioned, I guess you can call centre-back, who will put his body on the line, get stuck in. I mean, I reckon he would have done a lot better on the first goal, jumping for that header. Because mm. I said yeah. Ream literally didn't move. He was just stood to the floor. It was almost like he didn't see him, but then he was marking. It was one of those where, you, I, you know, I watched it back a couple of times because I was like, well, who's marking him and what are they doing? And it's almost like Reem's looking at him and he has his hand out to sort of mark him and he slips his marker. And then by the time Reem turns around to sort of see where he is, House is in front of him and he's nodded through. And it's it's really, really like lazy defending, if you ask, you know, ask me. But surely, and against a team like Wolves, who play very direct, and especially in the second half, they reverted to a very direct system, and we buckled under that pressure. Sigurdsson's perfect yeah. for that. Yeah, it would seem so. I mean, you can see why he didn't change it. Yeah, like, that's I guess. The, that's the thing. Like, if Reams only come in there because of an injury, and then you win 5-0, it'd be very, very difficult to drop him. But I think it's just shown up how, you know, reliant we are on Callas again and reliant on Callas playing well. And it makes the world of difference to everything. I think, you know, Callas and Martin didn't have their best games in Fulham shirts and and, and we've struggled to keep ball at times. We've struggled to make things stick. And it's just, you know, one of those, I suppose, that, you know, when those key players aren't ticking for you, sometimes it all goes wrong. And when you can't make the ball stick, especially when you're under the cosh, it's always going to keep coming back at you and, you know, lines break and that's that's what happened basically in the second half 
A key moment in the match then, uh, moving on uh, from Courtney House's first goal. We've still got seven to go, guys. Uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let's maintain it for the long run. Uh, the key moment really was Nua Dicko missing pretty much an open goal after Button's blunder. And then it must have been less than 60 seconds later, Steph Joe uh, got the equaliser. And yeah, as I say, it was a real key moment in the match. I mean, had Wolves gone 2-0 up, that would have been a real uphill battle. The thing is, like, when that long ball comes over the top and we're just completely asleep at the back, it's just a sign that you you felt something else was going to happen, even if we were if we did score those additional goals. So we're completely asleep. Button was completely asleep, and it's another mistake from him to let Dick Owen in the first place. But in terms of the goal, I mean, great persistence down the right hand side from Fredericks is something we consistently highlight in the podcast. That he gives us another dimension. Um, and Stefan Johansson is just brilliant. Like that goal epitomised for me what he does for the team is that amazing link between defence and attack. And he's the guy that bridges that gap in between the lines. He's the guy that you know comes in from the box from deep and makes that impact. And that that goal there just underlines his importance to the whole team. And Dom, like Kenny, will obviously take the plaudits for his goal. But it was a lovely finish from Johansson. I mean, yeah, it was a great finish from Johansson, but. I don't understand, even with the mistake that Button made, what is he doing? Yeah. It's just a simple catch. It's also a terrible header back. When we talk yeah. about that, as in, as in Button has to go sprinting out of it, off his line, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, yeah, he should, make, he should do better with it. No one's, no one's questioning that. But what, what's the, where's the header going? What's, what's going on? Why doesn't he head the ball back to Button? Why does he <laughs> head it over towards the left of the box? It's bizarre. Like, it's almost like a comedy of errors again. And, you know, you see these things happen. You're like, what's, what's going on? I mean, if that had been in the Sunday League, you'd have tutted. It would, the whole thing was comical. And then compounded by Dicko's unbelievable miss. I just don't think he realised how much time he had, did he? No, I don't think he realised how open the goal was either. Because <laughs> to rush a chance, that clear, like, clear cut is clearly he's not taken in the situation that's and around it's not him. like he just missed the goal. Did he even yeah. go for a goal think, kick? No, I don't think he did, did he? It went, it went so far wide. And that was because <laughs> obviously the away ends like the other side of the pit, but still on the side. I was like... What what just happened? Yeah. What genuinely just happened? There's something else to mention in terms of the goal is that um, Johansson starts the move and finishes it, which is... Um, and it's on his weak foot as well. Yeah, but it's the, the first ball across. He absolutely gets the ball on the halfway line after Fulham just about recovered mm. that. He, you know, shimmies a man and literally pings an absolute beauty 35 yards across the pitch and then arrives back to, arrives back to sweep into the top corner. And it's absolutely wonderful. Like, And, you know, obviously... I am going to say that. But... The ball from Aluko, is it Aluko who's, who sets the ball on the inside down the channel between the centre-back and the right-back? For Fred. That's For Fredericks. Yeah. Is, that's a brilliant ball as well. And the that's the pace just... of Fredericks as well, though, to reach that ball because yeah. most right-backs would have, that would have the, just gone out the for a kick. At the end, just holds up on the turf and allows Fredericks just to get nip it in like second or third touch is just fantastic. And like, that's the difference, isn't it? The mm. fact is, Aluko, the, the turf was, was difficult on... On, on, on Saturday I don't think anyone can dispute that it was slippy and you know there was there was things sliding around everywhere and when the ball slides under Button uh, the, the commentary uh, says it says oh we don't know if that's the turf and the way that then Aluko uses that to his advantage the difference between someone playing with confidence and someone who doesn't feel comfortable on that kind of surface and I think that's you know so important to highlight the kind of quality we have up front compared to the quality that we saw lacking severely between our centre-half and our, our goalkeeper on Saturday. Goal number three, another assist from Fredericks, lovely cross into the box, and Ayite off the mark. Uh, he had another good game. He's really, he's really now laid his marker in that midfield trio, and 
I imagine Lucas Piazon's not going to be in with a sniff barring an injury. With Ayite, I think it's, it's quite similar to Luco at the beginning of the season that he's been playing well. He just hasn't had the goals or the assists that the I think just the home fans see and just, they just want to. They want if he doesn't score, doesn't assist or set up or create any key chances. They think he's not doing anything in the game. But like a Luco, he's such a direct attacking player that he just runs at defenses. And now he's got yeah two goals and two assists in his last couple of games. As you said. It will make Fulham fans realize, oh, he's he's a quality player and he's got a massive thing to contribute to the team. I mean, because Piazon, he had like a run of like maybe five games when he mm. was quality, and he sort of just hasn't really shown that. And because a lot of people were saying when obviously when Aluka went off in the second half, and we brought on Parker, uh, that we should have brought that we could have brought Piazon on at the same time. But obviously we were trying to short the back line. But yeah, Ito's been quality, especially in the last two. Yeah, I think the fact that, like you say, Aite is like the level above everyone else that we've currently got in the squad is really starting to show through now. I mean, even against Newcastle in the opening game, it was quite clear to us that he was going to be an impressive player for us throughout the season. I mean, we mentioned that a couple of times, but as you say, like the directness that he has and the the difference between him and Piazon is, whilst I'm not, whilst I'm not clearly labelling Piazon as one-dimensional, Aite has that flexibility to play all the way across the middle and then as a secondary secondary striker as well. And you can see that by how confident he is in taking shots, getting in the box and expressing himself. And the fact that he's that expression of movement and that expression with the ball just gives us another threat that we were previously lacking on Piazon, who was, um, whilst I love him, he's just really work rate and, and physicality. Well, I think I read a stat that in the last three years, he's in the top 10 players of scoring goals with your weak foot in Europe in the last three seasons. Eater. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's massively two footed, and like I think we've said this on the pod before. Like for Bastia, he was one of their brightest sparks in a team that isn't exactly pulling up trees. I mean, I guess when a player is two footed like that, it's so difficult for defenders because you just can't predict. If a player is all one footed, you just shove them onto their weak foot, and I mean, some you know, one time out of a hundred, they might have a lucky shot. But with Oyete, you've got so many problems, and especially he's got the mentality to go so direct. It's a dangerous proposition. Yeah, he was magnificent, and I thought he re- he really did well and really was a kind of shining light. But it was sort of more in terms of he he tracks, he he comes back, he works hard, and he's always willing to sort of change things up. He's always the one that's like, I'll swap wings now, or I'll you know. And I think that we said in the um, oh, which game was it? I think we said in the Reading game that at one point he was out on the right wing and he drove completely across the pitch to the other side to, to you know to come cut back in and and, and uh, set something up and it was one of those moments where you go okay yeah he really is you know pulling teams apart in the way that he sort of weaves around and wanders around the pitch and no one knows quite who's tracking him or who's marking him and you know there's there's plaudits to be said for that the other thing about the second goal is we should probably give some credit to Aluko for mm. some magnificent work in the corner to free the ball up for Fredericks. Um, I thought he did really well and it was a brilliant cross from Fred so you know, shout out to all three of them really it was um, a an, an really lovely work goal I think when we also speak about um, that versatility across the front three we also have to talk about the versatility going backwards and forwards as well and being a two way player and I think that's now the modern game how it is now versus maybe 10 or 15 years ago maybe even further back for our slightly older listeners like a lot of those players could only do one thing and now a lot of the players that are coming through now whether they be 18 years old or whether they be 25 years old, are capable of playing both attacking football and defensive football. And we see that in the likes of our wide midfielders in Piazon, Aite, Aluko, are all comfortable going backwards and forwards. Yeah. We're going to skip Kearney's goal. 
because we're going to come back to that later. That's going to be uh, another topic of conversation towards the end of the podcast. So halftime comes with 3-1 up. We've turned it around, three goals in 10 minutes. Everything's looking bright. Do you think one of the... Well, I mean, it's an obvious thing to say, but Fulham were quite guilty of not taking chances to make it four, which, I mean, you should never need to kill off a game when you're 2-0 up, but there was always that danger that two wasn't enough, and two often is a dangerous lead, because especially when you're away from home, home team gets one back, and the momentum's with them. I think Aluko... Yeah, uh, Tom Kenny had a shot from about 20, 20-ish yards out, and the, the keeper parried it, and Aluko... Although he should have scored it, it is a great double save. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic. Because it was the goalkeeper's debut or something. Cause it was a fantastic cause, performance. Yeah, because Akime and Lonergan were both out injured. So it was their third choice keeper in goal. And it's a brilliant save, especially on the rebound. But yeah, again with Aluko, I think now he's actually had the most shots in the championship over Dwight Gale. And he's got like a 35% shot accuracy with one target. But, we, we said it many times on the pod, and Ben's made this point, uh, I think the most out of any of us, that if he could finish, he would be a top, top class player. It is his one weakness. And unfortunately, we saw it on Saturday. And you hate single out a Luco because as you say, some of his move, you know, he was completely responsible. Well, not completely responsible, but, you know, very heavily involved in goals one and two. But there are key moments in the game which change it from a pretty much guaranteed three points to very nearly losing it. Well, yeah, because I said... When we were 3-1 up, I, like, I was like, we need a fourth goal. I think it was with a half an hour to go. I was like, we need a fourth goal. Because if they get a goal back, they're definitely getting a third. It's one of those, it's, it's so Fulhamish, isn't it? To, you know, be 3-1 up and be like, oh, we need a fourth. As if, you know, two two goals with, you know, half an hour to go isn't isn't a good, strong lead. And yeah, of course, there's the home, the home kind of advantage thing. But I was reading a stat somewhere on the internet the other day that we were talking about two goals being a dangerous lead. And at some point, this has become a, a discussion topic, and people are like, oh, two nils is a dangerous position. It's not really. It's not. <laughs> like, when you're two goals up, you have a cushion. If you're one goal up, yeah, of course. Like, But actually, some something like 95% of teams go on to win from being two goals up. And I think that that's, you know, something to be said of. Paddy Power, for example, paid out on teams going two nil up this this weekend. So if you had a bet on, you know, Leicester example you were paid out on your Leicester bet after four minutes so that's one to consider so if you go two goals up then you know bookies are paying out that's how secure they feel that lead is with most people and I think that you know we shouldn't be thinking we need a fourth goal that's not you know that's not the kind of we should be able to sit back you know dominate the game and dominate possession the way we have done and then invite teams onto us and wait for and to be able to absorb that pressure and then hit them on the break when we have kind of the advantage and we have you know the numbers and the fact that we are worried about that when we're two and when we're three one up and obviously that comes from the last couple of years and seeing Fulham implode time and time again but like that's not that's not normal you shouldn't we shouldn't be you know you don't think you reckon Newcastle fans at two nil two nil up but are thinking oh we're gonna lose this no, there was just something, and I couldn't put my finger on it, about Saturday's game. And so often, if you threw one up, I would feel secure. But there, there was something in the air, and maybe that's just with the power of hindsight, that it felt that way. There was just something, and I, I fully agreed with Dom. I was like, I, as soon as Aluko missed that chance, I was thinking, I've got a horrible feeling here. And it did come back to haunt us. And let's move on to goals five, six, and seven, uh, which all, unfortunately, fell to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, the fifth uh, goal, so to make it 3-2, was what started the rot. Again, poor defending in in there, and Ream, again, very culpable. 
Yeah, Reem culpable, but there's a couple of points beforehand that I think we can probably address. When the first ball comes in, it's only half cleared by Callas, which I think is fair enough, considering that he was falling down halfway through the clearance. But then you sort of, the ball bypasses Malone back out to the crosser, and he just sort of stands there for a second, and it registers in his brain that he actually needs to go and close this ball down. He doesn't do it fast enough, and it allows him just to get a touch on, set himself and whip the ball back in. And then you have the Wolverhampton Wanderers player coming in from the far post, and instead of Fredericks you know, being on his touch or on the chance, he's got his hand up, appealing for a foul or an offside somewhere else. And the next thing he knows, the ball's is in the back of the net. Like Surely at Sunday league level, youth level, everything, you've basically told the player to the whistle. You don't walk around with your hand up or, or stop playing like we did against Brighton. Or now, you sort of you know, try and get it away, then appeal for something. I was going to say, you've also got to look at David Button. He's literally like glued to his goal line. Mm. The ball is literally in his six-yard box. And he sort of just pushes his hand at in Dotty, just taps it in. So, I don't know. Although maybe Button was all right being on his goal line when the cross come in, he, I think he could get out quicker to get, yeah. get to it. Because it was literally both goalkeepers throughout the whole game were pretty much glued to their goal line. I was talking to a Wolves fan after the game. He thought his goalkeeper was stuck to his goal line, and I thought Button was as well. There was, I don't know what really Button's doing on this. Well, it's more excusable for a teenage debutant to be stuck to your goal line than a very experienced championship goalkeeper in David Button. Let's move on to David Button, as it's something that I think a lot of people have been speaking about in the past couple of days. And obviously, we have a very capable number two waiting in the wings in Marcus Bettinelli, who's barely had a shot. Uh, to save this season, excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> and Button, you know, potentially re- nearly responsible for Dicko's open goal miss, which was an absolute shocker. The first goal uh, was arguably his fault, was slow to come off his line uh, for Wolves' second. And the third, even on the TV angle, it looks like a very impressive shot. It was saveable. I still think you have to give credit to Ivan Cavallero for a good a finish. Great it's a great finish. A great finish. We but, highlighted him as one of our key yeah, opposing players in the pod last week. And in our preview, if I we've got remember Dave, correctly. Dave Edwards is the key and, one in the preview. Dave, <laughs> um, so we've done pretty well to to point out our key players. But he's their club record signing. And you can see why he was there. That, for me, I've just got written down, brilliant finish. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's much Button could have done. I, I'm no goalkeeping expert, so I'm willing to listen to Jack and Dom on this one. But I thought it was a great finish. Yeah, no, at the time, I was like... I was just—I didn't really acknowledge the goal. I was like, "We've actually just done this. We've actually just bottled <laughs> another two-goal lead." But yeah, I think watching it back on the highlights, I think it's just a great finish. Okay, fair enough. I think he just curls it into the far post, and there's—I mean, like, maybe he could position himself better, but it's the Championship. It's not like yeah. the Premier League. The question is, why has he got so much space, and why is he running through with Malone as the last sort of man? There is—is the question that needs to, you know, maybe be addressed on the third goal, and. Should Scott Malone be doing more to get in front of him? I know he's trying to shepherd him wide, and I do understand that. But, you know, with someone with that ability, and we've said, and one of the things we pointed out last week was Cavalera has two two very good feet. Mm. And, you know, with someone like that, do you try and let them, do you try and shepherd them wide and get the shot on their weaker foot? Or do you try and, you know, get in front of them and block the shot coming in in the first place? And, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that it's anyone's fault. I don't think. There's much you can do when there's, you know, goals of that quality and that, you know, that kind of caliber. But, you know, I think you need to, if you're going to analyze anywhere, that's the that's the spots to analyze rather than button on that one. I'd say after that, after our second goal, it was kind of as if the Cavalero and Costa were just having an absolute field day, and I think that correlates quite nicely with the introduction of Parker. 
I was going to ask. And the removal of Aluko, which I know we're going to come on to. Yeah, I was going to ask. Do you think that substitution Aluko for Parker was partially responsible? Because it did seem like suddenly after that substitution came in, Fulham couldn't keep the ball because it would go up front. Martin was struggling to keep hold of it and then there was only the two people supporting him and then you kind of had McDonald, Parker and Johansson all in the same area. It just didn't seem to work. It seems a little bit like Fulham of old. I mean, in hindsight, it does sound like a bad substitution but at the time, a lot of fans were calling for Scott Parker to come on and try to show up the midfield a bit more but obviously it clearly was partially responsible for us conceding another two goals because there wasn't really anything going forward. But I think at the time it was actually a good decision to make. I think it's just obviously now looking back, you're like it's some it maybe we should have if you're gonna take him off, bring on someone like Piers on. One of the things yeah. you need to consider is that I suppose that we didn't necessarily change the system too much. What I imagine they would have done is gone Parker and McDonald at the base, push Johansson forward a little bit, and put Kenny out to the right wing. Yeah, so And I don't want to go over old ground yeah. again. But when we're in a defensive situation, Tom Kearney doesn't cover the ground and he doesn't cover the ground tracking back. And what happens is then opposition wingers get all over our fullbacks. And we've seen this time and time and time again. And it feels like a bit of a broken record on this one, I'm, I'm sure, to, to everyone listening. But it's true and it continues to be true. And if you're going to bring on Parker there, you need to bring off Kearney. That it's, it's as simple as that because he doesn't do the running on the wings. And... If you're going to put, you know, so you can take that, you can do that, and you can you can have two midfielders and leave Johansson a little bit deeper than whoever was playing in front of him is. But at the same time, you've got to have two wingers that are tracking back and go to more of a four-five-one than a four-two-three-one, and then you start to see, you know, that we have overloads in midfield and we start to defend properly. And I think that's, I think that that's part of the problem and probably quite a key part of it. That <laughs> removal of Aluko just changes the whole structure of the team completely. If you notice, it's very clear on the 90 minutes and maybe not as much when you're there live, but the team becomes very stretched. As in, when you remove Johansson as that linker between that base of the midfield and then the top of the attacking or triangle pyramid, whatever you want to call it, the, the team becomes really imbalanced. There is literally massive gaps between those two attacking sectors, if we're going to call it that. And then if we look at Wolves as an opposition, both of their fullbacks in Iorfa and Doherty are very physically able and they're very able to get up and down the wings and they really exploited us, in particular Kenny, as you say, uh, Jack. Like Time and time again, we were just out of possession. We looked easy to run through. In possession, we were quite negative and quite sideways, especially when Parker came on and it really disrupted our flow. We used to having very quick ball, very quick transitions and then we slowed it down got very long, our, our propensity to make bad passes just increased and then obviously with the increased length of those passes, the probability that you're gonna, not going to make it just increases as well. So it's just structurally it just messed us up completely. Also Molyneux massive. Like one of the whole, one of the key points I think we talked about right at the end of last week's show was that the pitch at Molyneux is so big and Wolves like to play, as Ben said, long, stretching balls that, you know, pull teams apart and pull them wide. And what we managed to do was try and... It was almost like trying to compact ourselves, left so many more spaces because that pitch is so big and we're not necessarily used to that with, with obviously, the pitch of the cottage. And it's just one of those that it seemed to, like, go against everything that we tried to do and what had worked for us so well in the first half, which was small, compact passes and, and, and little interchanges that... that, that broke through their midfield and broke through their defence and it t pulled us into a, s a system that they wanted to play rather than what we wanted to play. 
And, and a clear example of that was Wolves' fourth goal. And if you thought Fulham had bottled it, Dom, at 3 all, uh, to potentially lose 4-3 was just... Yeah, I mean, again, what are Reem and Callas doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, genuinely, what are they doing for this goal? I mean, a lot of people criticise Button for this goal. I don't, I don't really think you can. I think there's too much venom on the shot going yeah, across the goal. But yeah, like with the with the bicycle kick, I don't know if it's Dicko or Ivan Calero. It's Dicko that tries the, yeah. the bicycle. And it's like, both the centre-backs are just standing behind them and it's letting them do this. Then the ball goes over to Dave Edwards and they sort of just, they both sort of go over, but they don't put any challenge in or anything. No, they just sort of stand up with their hands behind their back, don't they? Yeah. Typical David Lewis style. <laughs> I think like one of the things Dave Edwards has done for years and years in the Championship, and he even done it in the Premiership as well, is ghosting into the box unnoticed and... It happened against QPR. He's got a good goal. It happened against Fulham. Another good goal. How off? Like, how obvious does it have to be to say we have to deal with this problem? And like, surely when we're scouting out other teams, we must notice that they have this guy that goes in the edge of the box, and we've got to be ready for it. It's as, it's as simple as that. It's like the pre-scouting's up to it. But I agree, Callas and Ream not good enough on that play at all. We picked up that Edwards versus McDonald might be our key battle. Was our, uh, our our key battle in the preview? And we said that, you know, if if McDonald was going to have a controlling influence, and I thought McDonald played all right to be honest. I, 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 I for me, he was my man of the match. Yeah, I, I thought he, he did quite impressive. well. Um, but you know, we said that if he was going to, if he had to put the shackles on Edwards, if we were going to stop and nullify Wolves' attacking threat. And the fact that he's in there with no one tracking him and, and you know, getting to that box is completely like, you know, prove us completely right, to be honest. And so we said that if he gets into those attacking positions, he's going to score goals. He always has. He's scored against Fulham numerous times. And, you know, he's scored against, you know, opponents up and down the league. And he, he constantly fulls, fulfills that role of, of, of a player that bursts in and makes important runs and important, you know, breaks for Wolves and, and scores consistent amounts of goals for them and you know it happened again and it's I don't like saying things like I told you so but you know I told you so <laughs> say that Slav um, I mean fantastic finish though yeah don't oh, get me wrong absolutely. like he's a brilliant player that's, yeah. that's kind of the point yeah and then I guess it was 4-3 down and a great moment at the end of the game showed again the mental character that we've mentioned uh, Floyd Ite, two goals, two assists in two games. And we've mentioned before he's playing very well. And it was a relief, I guess, to get a draw out of it. But none of us really can be satisfied with a point considering we were 3-1 up against a team that uh, started the day 20th in the league had lost their past five home games. I guess just a little bit a sense of just relief that we somehow didn't lose it. But it doesn't make up for what was an implosion by Fulham. Yeah, yeah. when we were winning 3-1 at half-time, we were like what's going on? We don't play well at Molyneux. This doesn't happen. So that's why we wanted the fourth, because we know it's Fulham at Molyneux, where I don't know how many years it's been on, but it's got to be like 20 or 30 years since we, maybe even longer since we won at Molyneux. Because Apart from that League Cup penalty. That isn't, although that was one of the greatest away games I've ever gone to, just because of the, we had to run for the train. It was in the snow. As soon as we scored a winning penalty, we were running through Wolverhampton, but we can't because the floor's icy, so we just slip over. <laughs> But then, yeah, there was, and then we had them again on a Tuesday night two weeks later. And I think we lost 3 0. Yeah, 3 0. Yeah. I think I left at 2 0 because I just wanted to get the early train home. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with watching that Fulham side. But yeah, we just don't win at Molyneux. So to, before the game, I would have taken a point at Molyneux. But then when you're 3 1 up, you're like, how, how have you done this? What have you done? Who are you? 
Yeah. Oh, you're Fulham. I just loved our WhatsApp group, the Fulhamish WhatsApp group, and it was like, three one up. Yeah, we're bloody flying. We're playing so well. Definitely playoff destined. 20 minutes later, just get this message through. Fucking shit, Fulham. <laughs> For fuck's sake. And it's just like, all right. I think I might cry. I know what's happening here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, then, oh, shit. And then, oh, don't worry, boys, we'll win it. And then, uh, ends up being 4 all. So, yeah, that was a highlight of my Saturday. I mean, it was... An unbelievable game. And again, now, it means that, a bit like last season, the stats are a bit crazy for Fulham. Seeing as in the last month and a half or so, just the games that we've been involved in have been crazy. Right from the 4-2 against Barnley, 2 5 nils, and then now this 4 all draw, which I mentioned at the start of the show, was broken records left, right and centre. So after 20 games, I've, I'm thinking, Jack's compared us to Real Madrid previously mm-hmm. but are Fulham the Liverpool of the championship hear me out hear me out because I can see a few eyes rolling right brilliant play brilliant football very easy on the eye charismatic manager I wouldn't say that Slav is quite Jurgen Klopp standards but certainly he's a character Slavisa in the way that Klopp is fluid going forward suspect defensively and what made me think about it is that we also blew a 3-1 lead <laughs> luckily Fulham actually came back to draw four all and then some of these stats. So we've got the highest shots per game in the championship, the highest pass success, the second highest possession, only 0.1% behind Reading, uh, and the third highest shot conversion. And if you look at Premier League stats, Liverpool are winning all of those particular categories. The only one we're not um, doing quite as well as Liverpool is the actual goals for tally, which Newcastle uh, and maybe Brighton uh, are beating mm. us in at the moment. But certainly, like, the statistics at the moment for Fulham, we're in 10th place and have got the third best goal difference in the league. We said it last season, but our position doesn't quite reflect the quality of this team. But it says the third high shot conversion, but you still need to be a lot, lot more clinical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Aluko, as I said, Aluko has had 63 shots, the highest in the league, and he's got a 35% conversion rate. I mean, in terms of us and, and comparison to Liverpool... Yeah, I think it's scarily accurate how how we are basically a championship version of them. Like we go through the transitions quickly, we make the simple short passes look brilliant. We make at times complex football look very, very simple and we can carve through other teams. And we are relentless in pressing and we're relentless in attacking. And I kind of wish almost that we would just sometimes just tone it down and shut up shop a little bit like a Chelsea of Oldwood. But it wouldn't be half as fun, would it? So <laughs> it wouldn't be Fulham. We also have the Coutinho of the championship in, in Stefan Johansson. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I um my tweet comparing him to Luka Modric at the weekend did really well. You but, went crazy. It was just capital letters yeah, and I, exclamation I, marks all over. No, the but place. I've been getting I've been having chats with the people from Norway and, and loads of Celtic fans and all sorts and it's, it's been really pleasant. You know, we've had a really good I've had a really good apart from one bloke who was like, Oh yeah, he's the next Chavi, is he? I was like, All right, mate, there was a little bit of, <laughs> there was a little bit of hyperbole there, you know, I'm only messing. But no, I, I really like this comparison. I, I really do, and I think that it's scarily fitting, as as Ben said. And I think that we're you know, we're a good side and that's the thing. We are good at scoring goals now. That's something that we haven't been good at for ages. Nine in two matches is pretty impressive. Yeah. That's, that's, there's no getting around that. Yeah, we let in four goals, but we, nine, in, nine in two matches is something we've probably never seen from a Fulham side or in a long time. Four, 15 and four. 15 and four, yeah. 15 four, exactly. That's very potent. And yeah, like we say, to be, still be talking about being clinical is a bit, uh, a bit of an, un, well, 
an overstatement am I looking for? Yeah. And tomorrow's game uh, against Rotherham at the Cottage, the Rotherham manager, uh, his name escapes me, actually. Nope. Silence. He's new. He's a caretaker manager. Um, Paul Weiss or something like that. It is PW, but I can't remember. Anyway, he said that if he was going to pay money to watch any team in this league, it would be Fulham. And he said, I'm going to be under no pretenses how good Fulham are going to be tomorrow and how difficult it is going to be. I'm actually quite happy that they beat Queen's Park Rangers at the weekend because they were on a 15-game, not losing streak, but they hadn't won in 15 games. Quite glad they've got that out of their system just so the most Fulhamish result of all time is slightly less Fulhamish now. Yeah. Well, I'm just more, I'm potentially more glad that they just beat Ian Holloway, um, <laughs> which is great. I think I also saw something on Twitter earlier was, a lot of people um, complimenting us on our style of play. A lot of people obviously complimenting Fulham on the, on the amazing Kenny goal. But there was a tweet that stood out for me. It was just, it was a comparison with Liverpool. And they say that Fulham are like Liverpool. They're like a car with no clutch because they can't go through the gears. They can, they're, they're stuck in like sort of middle-ish gear. And if they want to put a game to bed, they really struggle to to notch it up a couple of times. And you do think especially with the game this weekend and potentially about the games earlier on this season, for example, at Burton, whilst I know we've changed, we couldn't really get that over the line and we couldn't really step up another gear. So I think that's quite an accurate comparison. Yeah, if you just, if you just look at September, yeah, <laughs> that was us not being able to just finish our chances. I think the wheels came off if we're using a car <laughs> analogy in <laughs> September. Brilliant. So as I mentioned, Fulham's highest scoring draw since 1995. Um, but I think there's been some other very good draws in recent years. You mentioned it actually, the Wolves one uh, in the FA Cup, that three-all draw uh, was a standout. But what are some other good Fulham draws that stand out to mind for you that have been either very high scoring like Saturday or plenty of events? I just think that quite often as fans, we glorify the wins and we commiserate the losses and we look back at both of them uh, in equal measure um, but actually, sometimes the draws do get forgotten, uh, forgotten, and they can produce some of the greatest moments. So, Jack, I'll start with you. Any draws to bring to the table? I, I like the the one we keep mentioning on the pod, which is the uh, the game up at Man United, where we dealt with ten million crosses. Eighty two, is it to be precise? Yeah, I think so. And <laughs> yeah, and that was the the one the one game that Dan Byrne had the game of his life, and Darren <laughs> Bent scored, Dan and Burton. Sidwell scored that absolute beauty. Yes. And, um, so, yeah, that's the one that springs to mind whenever people talk about brilliant draws for me. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, uh, ben? Uh, yeah, well, the, obviously the day Dan Byrne turned into Franz Beckenbauer is is, <laughs> is a brilliant one to, to bring up. But for me, I think that it's, um, it's something we've also talked about on the pod when we talk about our first games. And my first game was a 3 all draw, Aston Villa versus Fulham, in possibly the coldest football game I've ever been to. Um, I think a couple of centre-backs scored braces on that day, but I can't remember... I remember McBride getting McBride a got goal. one, and I think Liam Ridgewell scored two for Villa. Yeah, yes. I think you're right. Um, yeah, that was my first ever game, and I think that's what hooked me. Not only the stadium looking amazing and the Johnny Hainstand just completely capturing me, but the the three all draw was just something that wanted me to keep coming back. A three all draw is a great game for a first game to hook you into football because obviously yeah you could go and win 5-0 that's also going to hook and I remember yeah. mentioning a couple of months ago when I took my nephew to his first game which was the 4-0 defeat against Bristol City that's definitely not how to <laughs> uh, get a 7 year old hooked on football but a 3 or draw another draw that stuck in my mind uh, just because it's also Aston Villa uh, is one quite a lot before that 
Juan uh, uh, Pablo Angel missing two penalties, both saved by Edwin van der Sar. And I think Lee Clark scored in the 97th 90s. minute. Yeah. It was literally the last kick of the game. I remember that game. It was so entertaining. I just remember it being end-to-end and real blood-and-thunder football. Juan Pablo Angel was some player. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> he really was. I remember seeing them and being like, I like him. And my Ec- dad being like, stop it. Like, you know, I was like, nah, he's really good. Ecuadorian? He's Colombian. 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 Uh, and Dom, any uh, draws to bring well, to the table? I, what I find quite funny is, I found loads, I found about eight three threes. But right. six of them were in sort of the, the two, two games back-to-back at home or back-to-back away. Because we had the Fulham three, Spurs three when Giamanti Kamara scores a bicycle kick in the last minute. Oh, yes. It's a wonderful game. <laughs> yeah, and then the next home game is 3-3 against Man City, where Hamabuatsa scores a wonderful free kick. Danny Murphy gets his first goal for Fulham. There's that free free. And then... Was that back-to-back? That was back-to-back home games, yeah. I mean, that was starting at the season. If you'd just bought a season ticket your first time that season, you must have thought, oh, I'm getting real money. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen 12 goals in two games. And then in 2012-2013, we had 3-3 at the Majeski where there was like three goals in the last five minutes. Brian Ruiz scored a belter, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, because yeah. yeah. on the highlights, you can see me near the front. That's the reason I remembered it. <laughs> and then the literally the next away game, like two weeks later, was the Arsenal 3-3. I was that at was that a pretty Arsenal game 3-3. as well. well that was... When somehow Alex Kacinicic beat Mertesacker in the air to a header. Yeah, he did. And I was like, I was like how has this happened? And Berbatov scored that cool as a cucumber penalty to make it thrill. And then we can see like two minutes later to Olivier Giroud. Yeah. And then they missed a penalty in the last minute. Was it Arteta, I think? Yeah, Arteta missed a penalty in the last minute and we went absolutely berserk in the away end. I was in hospitality that game. So my dad, I know, I know, it's the only ever hospitality game I've ever done and it was something through uh, my dad's old work and they, you could go to Arsenal games and he never went to it because he didn't like Arsenal but we went to that one and I just remember it was very hard to keep calm throughout the entire comeback and we're like under the chair but just when Arteta missed that penalty because I just thought it was such an injustice if Arsenal went to win that game because we were so brilliant Uh, but I just I I would completely resign to the fact that we've somehow thrown this away in typical Fulham fashion I just I couldn't compose myself I was I was beside myself and we made a very hasty exit (laughs) and no prawn sandwiches after the game oh right back that day I think it was, was it Rita at that point? Yes, yeah, Rita, yeah. Literally played a Danny Alves-esque game. Like, he was untouchable throughout the whole... I just remember him charging up and down the right-hand side, putting in cross after cross, and he was just a complete fawn in our side. And I was like, we were onto a player here, absolute player, and then a year and a half later, we just released him. The second half of that season, and especially his combination with Ashkander Jagger yeah. on that right-hand side, I just remember for the goal at White Hart Lane actually, that uh, he assisted uh, for, for Berbatov, Berbatov to score. And that that build-up play on the right-hand side between Dejaga and Aretha was, was something else. I still believe he was a very undervalued player in the end. Well, he had a great first season. And then the second season, I think it's because Dejaga was out so much. Yeah. He didn't really link with whoever else we were playing on the right-hand side that season. He had a difficult second album. Yeah, <laughs> the other one, if we're talking about eventful games, not necessarily quite as, as a happy result, was it with another missed penalty right at the end. Was um was it a two all against Chelsea? Then Clint Dempsey missed a last yeah. minute penalty to win it, and I remember being pretty devastated after that. And then he went yeah for the volley or scissor kick, bicycle kick, whatever. And then Good Johnson was literally standing right behind him, 
But then Nonga Johnson, he, he probably would have missed. He probably would have skied it a million yards there was, over the bar. There was, he did that annoying thing that I can't stand in penalty takers where he walked away from the ball and turned around and ran straight away. He didn't stop and look at the goal and I can't stand it. I, and I knew as soon as I said, I was like, he's going to miss this. He's going to miss this. And then he missed I always it. seem to remember Dempsey missing penalties. There was the Swansea away game where that I think that, that would have put us in the lead and then Danny Graham decided to become... Like Cristiano Ronaldo. Still that twice. He, I was going to say, he always does that against Fulham. <laughs> no, but then we introduced our own Cristiano Ronaldo, the Turkish version, Kevin Fry. <laughs> and he came on and absolutely ripped him to shreds. And we were like, hang on, we're on to a winner here. And he got taken down and Dempsey missed a pen. Yeah. I remember that. I think I was standing next to you. But there's, like, there's two more main draws, which is our first season of the championship. I only picked this one out because the Rotherham 3-3, when we went behind three times that was an excellent game I remember it mainly because somehow Woodger and Dan Byrne scored in the same game Woodger scored like a 20 yard curling finesse shot from outside the box into the top corner I was like that's definitely taking a deflection there's no way Cordy Woodger has just done that (laughs) (laughs) I remember being in the away end for that and although on the the cameras it looks like a great finish because you can't see the deflection I remember being in the away end and it is the world's biggest deflection it's not like almost to the point is it really Corley Woodrow's goal? I wonder if it was actually going to hit the post or go wide. Like, it was enormous. And then Dan Byrne at the end. And I yeah. seem to remember we very nearly could have made it 4-3 right at the end of that game. And then again, it, we, we like doing consecutive 3-3 draws because the next away game was Wigan. And this game was unbelievable. Another th- another, another 3-3. Ruiz and got one that Ruiz game? Ruiz got a last-minute penalty. Because I remember I was, I was running down the front to see it and I sort of just fell down the stairs and sort of just slid down <laughs> the whole stand. Yeah, because McCormack got sent off in that game as well. I yeah. think, I'm not sure how late it was, but it was definitely obviously before the Ruiz penalty. I was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to lose this. And then, yeah, last minute equaliser from Ruiz from the penalty spot. Don Betts in, missed goal shocker. Yeah. Um, and we've been mentioning quite a lot the 2012-13 season in our little chat just here. And that brings me on to my final point, which is the Kearney goal, which we've got hey. to come back to. Um, Jack's uh, retweet on the Fulhamish account was I think this is illegal in some countries <laughs> I was going to say some states which is my favourite but right. I, I thought it might not go down so well but yeah it was a um, my reason I mentioned that it might be similar to that season is is it the best goal actually I've got the wrong season here yes. but anyway anyway is it the best goal since Pajitin's Kasami's one against Crystal Palace because by far I still believe that is Apart from uh, maybe there might be more significant goals, but in terms of technique, I feel like it's always going to go down as the greatest Fulham goal. And I don't think there's too much doubt about that. But Tom Kearney's little assist by Stefan Johansson, beautiful chip back, and then a left foot volley that is just sumptuous. Yeah, sublime. I, I, I can't disagree with you really, Sammy. It's, no. it's, it's a sublime I mean, strike. We have scored some good goals since... Uh, uh, beginning of the last season when we had Holloway on I think yeah, it was on a Tuesday or Wednesday night and Kenny's in the middle maybe like 23 yards out takes it on his left foot and just pings it across the goal yeah. curls it straight into the far top corner yeah. Kenny before this weekend said that's the favourite goal he scored in a Fulham shirt somehow the Matt's, one against Leeds was good yeah it's mm-hmm. also another what, two, and he's, he's won this season and he's won last season because yeah. this season I don't know how he curled it so much into the bottom corner. Roberto Carlos-esque. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And somehow Matt Smith scored that wonder goal against Wigan. Oh, yeah, yeah that was yeah. a but, striking but, half. But it seemed to take forever to go in. <laughs> it went like one mile an hour, just over Scott Carson into the back of the net. And I remember that game, I think it was 2-2 against Wigan. And like every single goal was a belter. 
Yeah, all of them. They scored a lot. Didn't they score a free kick? Yeah, Jermaine, Jermaine, yeah, Jermaine Pennant. Yeah. yeah, I remember watching that and being like, he's going to score here. And then he did. And But yeah, Smith's goal that game was unbelievable. It was a hell of a strike. One that stands out to me since we went down to the championship was actually um, Las Vegan Christensen's against Sheffield Wednesday, which was just a brilliant team move. And it was from literally our goal line and to the back of our net at the Hammersmith end. Lovely play between... Um, Christensen, Roddy Yeager. Roddy Yeager. I'm still a big fan of his one against Huddersfield as well when he nutmegs the defender and then oh, dinks yeah. it over the goalkeeper. Yeah. I think that was, again, consecutive home games. Let me talk about cool. Johansson's one against Reading. <laughs> I mean, Johansson's <laughs> against Reading is perfect. Like, <laughs> like, you can't right? really get a better goal than that. I mean, that Kearney goal is just amazing because the way it comes across his body and he uses his hip Move. And maybe I'm looking a bit into into Tom Kenny's swivelling hips a little bit too much than I should be, but like the way he's positioned his body, swung his hip at it and, you know, like adjusted himself to get the power and direction behind that ball is nothing short of amazing. Um and he really did have um the Wolves players really pelting at yeah, him really pretty at fast. Him. It wasn't like he had all the time and space in the world to hit it. it no. It's incredible, incredible technique. It's a great goal. And a couple I've got just written down is um Another volley. I just love it when a volley dips in under the bar. And um, Bobby Zamora's against Shakhtar was a great volley. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm rem- remembering this incorrectly, but no, it, no, no. it's just literally a swivel on the hips again. Yeah. And just rockets it into the net. Well, when he when he goes for it, he's not even looking at the goal yet. No, exactly. And obviously, talking about volleys, you've got Berbatov's at home against Stoke. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was a brilliant goal. And then um, one of my favourite ones is... Uh, not only did it come against Sunderland, um, it was a brilliant free kick as well from Dempsey. It was in that time when he basically anything he shot went yeah. in the back of the net and it was he was untouchable. And that was, I think, one of either his 50th goal for us in the Prem or one of the very close to that. I think it was because I remember the celebration and he did the, yeah, he the, the, the 50. Goodbye, and then it, just the, the velocity on the free kick and the way it swerved around the wall but continued to move whilst in the air and it just nestled in that little post he also stamp. had that wonder goal at Stoke away in the snow I think yeah. that was a volley as well it was yeah oh yeah it was a, no, it was a consolation that wasn't yeah, it I, it was think, I think it was 3-2 yeah it was yeah 3-2 yeah. and obviously if you're talking about yeah. Fulham wonder goals you've obviously got John Harley's against Villa at Loftus Road yeah. <laughs> well, and a Dempsey chip which we haven't mentioned yet yeah of course it's like I just goes. That's just like a given. It's just, just like, a given. We put that in a corner and just be like, no one, no one touches baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, stunning goal from Tom Kearney, and I think one that uh, he'll be replaying and showing to his grandkids uh, for years to come. So. Huge congratulations to Tom. Uh, two games coming up this week, uh, Rotherham, which we've briefly touched upon, and then the Derby game, uh, which is on Saturday. Both games at the Cottage. Derby's going to be a particularly tough one. They've won six on the bounce. I'm not sure who their game is tomorrow, but potentially could be, you know, seven by the time they reach the cost. That's going to be very difficult. And actually two teams in very similar positions. So it could be not a turning point because I think there's a lot of games left. But certainly at this stage of the season, quite an important one for both sides. They tore Forest apart on Sunday. They really did. There was a, you know, a complete and utter annihilation in terms of just the way that they played. Although Bentner managed to hit, score an own goal and hit his own woodwork twice. Which is, you know, absolutely Cla- sensational. In fact, it's like, classic Nicholas Bentner, isn't it? But like, it was one of those ones where the description on the on the Sky Twitter was saying it was. I saw it today because my friends are Forest fan. He retweeted it was like, chance for Derby, and it's Bentner again. It's <laughs> 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 like, oh, okay, cool. One of those, one of those days for Nicholas, I'm afraid. But the main problem of tomorrow is we got the same referee as Forest Newcastle. 
So that should go down well. In fairness, he might have had to have someone might have had words with him and you know made him look at the the rule book and things. So hopefully he'll have he'll have a point to prove. I think it's his first game since. Yeah, I guess the key thing with tomorrow against Rotherham, obviously they're going to come backs against the wall. They're going to be looking for a point out of this game given Fulham's recent form. It's probably just trying about trying to get that first goal as early as possible to ease the nerves in order so Rotherham don't get that confidence to potentially try and nick one on the counter, yeah, which they will try to If we get a goal do. in the first 20 minutes, then... I think we'll have too much for Rotherham tomorrow. And I think that we'll have, they'll go out there with a point to prove as well. And, you know, like we were saying, 9-2, in 15-4. and four, uh, I, You know, I hope, I suppose. And 10 of those have been against teams in the top six. I hope that we'll have we'll have too much and we'll steamroll at Rotherham tomorrow. I don't necessarily think it'll be a, another 5-0, but I think we'll have too much firepower for them to resist us for an entire game very interesting table that i saw on twitter over the weekend which is the championship table with games against top half teams uh fulham sitting third and championship games against bottom half teams and fulham lies second from bottom to be fair to fulham we haven't played a proper bottom half team for a while now have we no i guess wolves was the first one we can improve on that. Yeah. Well, uh, we will have all the reaction to those two games next week on Fulhamish Podcast. And it's going to be a Facebook Live uh, jobby. And uh, come join us, facebook.com forward slash Fulhamish Pod, probably kicking off at about half six, quarter to seven. Basically, whenever Jack rolls in from his job, which is in North London, so it's uh, <laughs> it's a job. And you'll be able to see how ridiculously tinselled and baubled the uh, magic studios that we use are. I mean, it's... I mean, they've done a good job. Yeah, it's really it's nice. <laughs> we'll have our festive Fulham shirts on as well. Yeah, we yes. Will. Almost we'll get... as pretty as Stefano Kaka's goal from this weekend. Oh, Which yes. Was... We had two f- forgotten Fulham scorers we this weekend. Akaka and uh, Gabby Zakuani oh, got yes. one. Oh, yes. I saw it <laughs> on, uh, on the Phil League show. It was all very exciting. <laughs> uh, is that a rule then for next week for the Facebook Live? Uh, Facebook, sorry, Fulham shirts, not Facebook shirts. Yeah, Fulham shirts <laughs> on and it's Secret Santa Secret week Santa. next week as and well. Secret Santa, yes. We've, uh, we drew the names last week, so uh, we've all got a gift to give one another. Yeah, Farrell... so Farrell's getting some man flu pills. Well, yeah, Farrell's got a cold, which I think translates as two-day hangover. Yeah. Yeah, he's getting uh, old now. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Getting on a bit. Yeah, he can't, can't, can't handle a, a Friday and a Saturday night out. Or, or, yeah, he needs to work for that rest and recovery, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. Uh, he needs to be in, f- in full match fitness for Fulhamish <laughs> podcasts on Monday evening. Well, um, thank you once again uh, for listening and downloading. Please go share the word about Fulhamish wherever you like. Uh, Tiff, not friends of Fulham, though. No, not you're not allowed to, to post on Friends of You're Fulham. not allowed to post on Friends of Fulham about Fulhamish. Um, DM us for details if you want more. <laughs> We've come to the end of the show, which means, Secretary Jack, you need to title today's podcast, please. What have you gone for this evening? I think Left for the Wolves. Left four as in the number four? The number four, four yeah. Uh, left okay. for the Wolves. I see what you've done there. Quite nifty. Punny. Punny. As always, as always. Indeed. So we'll be back next week dissecting both the Rotherham and Derby home games Chaps, thank you very much for joining me. See you, Sammy. No problem. In uh, honour for Farrell. Toodles. Toodles.